Big Conversations Little Bar with your hosts Randy Florence and Patrick Evans featuring candid conversations with the Coachella Valley's most interesting and influential people. Pull up a bar stool and enjoy Big Conversations Little Bar. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. My name is Patrick Evans and I am joined by my co-host and very dear friend Randy, what's your last name? Florence Florence. this week. Florence, that is fantastic. Uh, And that's on your ID? Whatever. Okay. All right. Well, I don't want to get too personal about it. We're in a bar. We are in a bar. We're at Little Bar. Skip Page's Little Bar, which is a fantastic establishment. Randy likes to call it the what? I would consider this the center of the Coachella Valley universe. We always enjoy our conversations. I'm going to enjoy this one particularly because our guest today is a colleague, a former colleague, and a friend of mine whom we worked together many, many years, but most importantly, we share a birthday. We're both born November 24th. Wow. I've, I've owned it a little bit longer. Brooke Berry is here. <laughs> and uh, Brooke, many years of broadcasting, CBS Local 2, KESQ. Most recently, a stint in the weather department at KMIR. Doing it all. You're just flexing every one of those broadcast muscles. Welcome to the program. Thanks, birthday Nate. We're turkey babies. <laughs> That's pretty good. Blake Arthur's birthday is the same as mine. So and I, you, I get how that works. You married Blake. Well, well you performed uh, the ceremony. I performed, I officiated at his wedding. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. We'll have to edit that part out. Of <laughs> and I went to Blake Arthur's wedding. I did too. Look how we're all connected here. And I was irritated that they asked Randy to, to, to I said MC it. That's not exactly what you, officiate. <laughs> I was doing a podcast. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, we're just really glad that you're here because, now obviously, we worked together for many, many years. How many years? A long time. And we started on the morning show together. Yeah. Yes, that was in 2003. When CBS was uh, owned by the Houstons and before the merger with KESQ. And, uh, gosh. It's pretty hard to believe that you two worked together 20 years ago. I sent, Pat- I, I sent Patrick the other day a picture of him doing the weather. I mean, not that long ago. That's... That's a long time ago. Maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, That's I, had, I had hair most of the time that we worked together. Uh, so, Brooke, I'm going to give you a compliment right, up the, right off the top here. You're one of the most tenacious reporters I ever worked with. It was always a joy to watch you do, like, investigative work. Great anchor. But, man, when you know, it was one of those things is like, if Mike Wallace... It was like Mike Wallace walking in the or room. Or if Brooke Berry showed up at your door, you knew you were in trouble. Like, this is not going to be a good day. So. You know, when, when I moved into some of the other sectors, we talk about, oh, you know, what are you doing now? And I had a dream the other day that someone asked me that, and I said, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I don't know that uh, I would have had to preface all my conversations with these people by saying, hey, this is not on the record. <laughs> I'm I'm friendly. <laughs> Whereas before, you know, if you got a call from me, oh no, right? What happened? What did I do? I worked with her, and I was nervous when she called me. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go all the way back. Um, prior to USC, so you born Southern California. I was born in Coral Gables, Florida. Okay. And we moved to Southern California when I was in second grade in San Diego, North County. I grew up there. Uh, was a high school cheerleader. High school cheerleader on the journalism staff. 
uh, with another dear friend of mine who is in the television business still today. We won our first award when we were in high school together for broadcast journalism. We filmed it in the closet of the band room <laughs> because we didn't have a real broadcast uh, studio. I'd love to see that tape, but yeah, sadly, I don't think either one of us has it, and that's Christine Lazar. Who is also one of, one of the great reporters. I, in my early days at CBS, I did some reporting in hard news, and I had to go out in the field. Christine was working for KESQ at the time, and it was never fun to cover a story that she was covering. It's just like, oh, man, this is, this is going to be a tough day. The bar's too high. Uh, the bar, she set the bar very well. She's in L.A. now, and, and, and it has an incredible broadcasting career. Uh, but I also did some musical theater during that time and when it came time to apply to colleges uh, my parents said you know no way are we going to send you to USC and you're going to study theater so how about broadcast journalism and and it ended up being a terrific marriage of two things that I really enjoyed so it, it wasn't the university it was the major that they were concerned with yes when I got a half scholarship to USC they pushed me out the door and said yes absolutely that sounds like a good one <laughs> and, and it turned out to be a great one was there, um, once you started on that journalism path, was there a plan B? No. Mm-mm. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Even as we got closer to graduation, I think about half of the kids in my graduating class ended up not going into broadcasts at all because you were applying for jobs that were $12,000 a year. $14,000 a year if you were lucky. <laughs> and they were in the middle of nowhere. You would spend half your salary buying a winter coat and, you know, muckluck boots so that you could survive the winter. So uh, I applied only to places where I could see myself wintering for What was your very first job out of college? It was in Denison, Texas at an NBC affiliate station in Texoma. We straddled the border of Oklahoma and Texas. And when I tell people to this day, Denison, they say, oh, Denton, which is also another small city. I say, no, think about a third the size of Denton. <laughs> so it was there. A third the size of Denton. Yes, which is already small. <laughs> That's right. And it was a, a dry city, which I I'd never experienced before. Yes. How long, How long did you, you last? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting we both came up with that question. Well, we are doing a podcast in a in bar. In a bar. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I was there about a year and a half, and then I worked in Tyler, Texas, which is uh, about two hours east of Dallas. So kind of circling the Metroplex, and at that point in my career, it was either I'm going to stay in Texas and maybe get a job in Austin, or try and come back to California and the brand new CBS station had just opened out here. My good friend Christine was working for KESQ at the time and she said, you know, apply. They have a helicopter. Do you remember that helicopter? Project? Yeah, well, we, yeah, we didn't really have it. I said, what? A helicopter? I mean, I never got to go in it. No, none of us did. I think only Rich Fields got to go in the helicopter. Uh, uh, Christine's now brother-in-law, Patrick Hatton, went up in it a couple times. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, ended up out here. And you enjoyed a nice, long career in broadcasting, and then you decided to make a change. Yes. And it's a change that a lot of people in our business make at some point. You decided to go work, uh, essentially as a PIO, I think a, a broader... Glorified PIO. Glorified. Yes. <laughs> and for our listener, what's PIO? Public oh. Information Officer. Thank you. Yes. So as I tried to explain to my fellow broadcasters after I left, who I think felt I was traitorous 
and had gone to the dark side. Uh, this was, it was a communications and marketing director position. So the PIO was about a tenth of what I did on a daily basis. Uh, if it had just been PIO, I think that that would have been uh, all I could handle. Well, I think really traitorous broadcasters go into public relations. Yeah. But when you go work for this, the government, it's a little bit, you know, we all kind of like, I, yeah, I, I see that. There's, there's a whole deal. There's good government benefits. It's a good game. <laughs> like we all in broadcasting, like, yeah, uh, I, I could potentially do that. Um, While they're all trying to figure out if they can get your job. Uh, it, <laughs> it does seem glamorous, doesn't it? It does. It, it almost never rolls the other way. <laughs> it almost never rolls the other way. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. You went there and then the pandemic struck. Yes. And that job became pretty difficult because you still had to be there. My husband and I were both considered essential workers. And you're, can we mention the fact that your husband is a police officer? He's a police officer. He's in law enforcement. And so there wasn't a whole lot of remote work happening for me and especially not for him. Police officer is not a lot of good sitting in his own home. So uh, we were both, you know, required to be in the office most of the time. But our young children at the time had no school. So that, that was especially tough to do that. And I think the whole role of the job changed from being a broadcaster to being a public health you know, pandemic uh, communicator. That was, that was a big change. And then when the pandemic started tapering off, I mean, people were back 2,000% bigger than they were before. We were all hungering for normalcy and so it just I think accelerated at a, at a very rapid pace. So clearly when you took the job <clears throat> there was no playbook for how India was going to handle a pandemic. Um, first of all were there plans that you had thought about initiating once you got there that quickly just went by the wayside? Sure we had thought about doing some destination marketing when I first got there and refreshing the brand of the city. And that was absolutely put on halt. I wrote my first staff report, was supposed to present it at a city council meeting, and it got plucked off the agenda. But sitting in Little Bar, I mean, it's a great reminder, too. I was there, and it was months out from the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival, and we were getting calls from my colleagues at the news stations and really from all over the world, Rolling Stone and Variety, and they were asking about Coachella. Is it going to happen and I remember the internal conversations were something along the lines of there's no no way no way it would ever get canceled no way and then the BNP Paribas open was the first to fall and after that we knew yeah I could it could happen and so I didn't actually experience my first festival season there until right before I left now when you did make that change and you're on the the information side, mm-hmm. but you are also the insider at the city, and it, it's a big change because you know in journalism we're the ones calling and asking questions, and sometimes you get stonewalled because you you know don't necessarily want to reveal all of the. Did you ever have that kind of aha moment where like you're talking to one of your former colleagues, and like there's stuff I just can't tell this person? <laughs> well, what I wish I really had been able to tell people and I still think it was a a great experience being there I I learned so so much but 
It's just that things are more complicated than we have the time to tell the story as, as journalists. It's not just there's another side to the story. There's layers to the story. And so I do believe, you know, criticism is necessary and having watchdogs, that's what journalists are supposed to do. But sometimes it's it's more it's more black uh grays shades of gray than you want to believe as a journalist so uh, and there's a lot of bureaucracy to deal with in that position you answer to a lot of different people a lot of different people you know you always say oh uh in journalism i don't want to say i was my own boss but if i made a mistake on the air it was mine and i owned it uh if one of the one of our producers made a mistake it was my error it came out of my mouth nobody knows that someone else may have written it for me uh i'm responsible for all of those things well when you're in government and you're assisting and writing and communicating for an entire city of 91,000 people you're not represent you're representing the residents you're representing your city council members and you're representing your city manager and the entire staff so we can say in journalism all right, we'll, we'll fix it at 530. <laughs> it's a little tougher to do that in government. You really have to get it right the first time. You know, we were kind of kidding around before uh, this podcast started about how glamorous your job sometimes appear to those from the outside, TV jobs, and maybe even something like a public information officer. But during the pandemic, for you, it was a full-time job, but you were also a mom, a wife, presented some particular challenges at that time the glamour kind of went off the shelf at that point didn't it i think it was a little less glamorous for everyone during the pandemic wasn't it i'm pretty sure i saw patrick broadcasting out of his house on more than one occasion on many occasions well we had an odd experience brooke and i shared a stage together um cbep was doing their annual economic summit and for the first time had to do it virtually so we stood inside the uh was it the Mary Pickford? Yes. Theater in front of an empty theater, acting like we were talking to a full crowd of people. I remember that. And we were trying to stream it live, and there was something going on. Oh, it didn't start. It yeah. didn't start with Spectrum. It was a whole like valley-wide outage, That's and right. our assistant news director was there trying to run around and make things happen. And, and there was a pandemic. And there was so. a pandemic. We would take off our masks right before we went on stage. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you just did something really cool, and it's it's out now. You did a movie. Yes, a short film. Yeah, a short film produced by the Palm Springs Women in Film and Television, correct? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. How that happened. You know, I uh, had lunch with Kate Spates, Mm -hmm. who has some connection to this bar, and we were talking about a number of things, and she said, you know, you should get involved with this Palm Springs Women in Film and Television, and, you know, I'd been busy raising children and changing (laughs) careers, and I thought, yeah, yeah, you know, keep me posted on something like that. So over the summer, we were actually on vacation, and I got a text from Kim Waltrip, who is a globally recognized producer, actress, and a really nice really nice person yeah which she's is, one I think, of the, the most important human beings in this valley no doubt and uh she said hey you know do you have any interest in trying out for this film let me email you the sides which i didn't even know what a side was let me email you the sides and that's the french fries or onion rings right <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to email an onion ring, but uh, so you get them. <laughs> so I get them, but we were on vacation, and I 
kind of forgot about it. And then we got home and I texted her. I said, oh, shoot, you know, I forgot. You, you still want me to, you know, send this in? Sure. Uh, so I had my son run lines with me and my husband film me on my phone. And we... Uh, we transferred them to her, and within a couple of days, I got a call and an email and said, hey, you got the part. Wow. But this is, you know, I, and I think you probably did some of this when you were a working journalist. I mean, we occasionally get called upon by local filmmakers to appear as a journalist or a reporter in whatever movie they're doing. <laughs> yes. Yes. But this was not that. It was not that. This is this is a full-on acting part where you are playing a role. You're not playing a journalist. Tell us about the, the short film itself. When I read the whole script, I, uh, I really resonated with this character. She's about my same age, has a daughter, as I do, and had experienced something very traumatic happen with her daughter. And it's about her journey through grief and then finding the light again. Hmm. The Splendor of You. And as it happens, it was written by a woman who we had worked with in the past, Carolyn Maloshko. She had been our assignment desk manager at CBS Local 2. I did not know that until just now that Carolyn wrote that script. Amazing how it all comes back around. She was the producer of Eye on the Desert, a show that I still host. Got it. Mm -hmm. Several producers ago, but... So I (laughs) felt like... She's gone on to bigger and better things, clearly. (laughs) I felt like, you know, I... I think I can do this. There's something in me that really feels like I understand what this woman was going through. Uh, my own daughter experienced a trauma when she was very young. And so I felt like I could tap into that during some of these scenes. So it was kind of like a dream come true. I mean, maybe I'll get to do this sometime again in my lifetime, but it really was a once in a lifetime experience to go through and all the folks on set and hair and makeup and I can't wait to see the screening. What a great experience. Yeah. And you mentioned you'd done some musical theater as a younger person, right? So you had at least a little bit of experience in performing. Yes. I took drama classes all through high school and even into college. I was in a couple of uh, shows. So... I mean, it had been a while, and certainly the type of journalism that I had been doing is far from acting, but I uh, I really enjoyed it. So if it turns into something else down the line, I welcome it, and if not, I'm going to say that was a really neat thing that I got to do. How and when can we see it? It is screening at the Palm Springs Cultural Center on May the 16th. Right. So even if you miss it then, uh, as later listeners of the podcast may uh, you'll be able to find it through the Palm Springs Women in Film and Television website and hopefully it will be submitted to some film festivals and have another life Brooke could be interviewing herself at the film festival next year that'd be pretty cool she has to greet herself she's the host of the red carpet (laughs) she's the first face the stars see right so so women in film is almost becoming an industry mm. down here in the Coachella Valley. It's becoming bigger and bigger. What, what's your feeling around why that's happening right now? 
Well, certainly a lot of things came out of the pandemic and circled around that time, but the Me Too movement, certainly I think you can attribute that to people paying more attention. And uh, you found that women were really trying to elevate each other and uplift each other. And we saw that even with the winners at the f- and the honorees at the film festival this year. So many of those women, I got the chances you did to meet uh, Michelle. Yes. Who ended up taking home the Oscar? That was terrific. And, and, and by the way, that's Randy's favorite film. It's an amazing ever. movie. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I have it. hot dog fingers at home. <laughs> so you know, I think that, that that's been really great too. And I saw Michelle Williams, who I think maybe you knew. That was one of the actresses that I worked with as a as a child. Really? Uh, when I did musical theater. She's from San Diego. She and I did a couple of shows together and I tried to remind her of that when we saw each other on the red carpet. I don't, that may have been, you know, <laughs> another time. Before uh, Oscars. Uh, yeah, I got to interview her, but she was, you know, she and Steven Spielberg were walking the red carpet together. They were tight. They were very tight. And so it was, uh, Patrick wasn't getting in the middle. I, I tried to make sure we asked everybody all the you know, equal amount of questions. A lot of people were just kind of focused on Spielberg, which is understandable. But, you know, she was there for a, a reason. Uh, you know, I also think you can attribute uh, Kim Waltrip uh, as she is. She kind of took over Paul Strings Moon and film became the board president. And you guys, prior to would bring in a lot of filmmakers from L.A. and do a lot of presentations and, and workshops. But Kim kind of took it to the next level and said, you know, what we ought to do is just start making movies so that the membership in our organization, we can put them in these various roles and you figure out how to make a movie. And, and that is, I think, the, the expertise of Kim because she was making movies and said, let's just do it with this group of people. Yeah. And you could see that professionalism in everything that we did and still now. And uh, I, I hope that people take advantage of that as a resource. It's called Filmmakers Lab, kind of an incubator, uh, working filmmakers as well as, uh, you know, people who want to be filmmakers getting that sort of experience. It was the first film for some of us, but definitely not the first for others. Do you feel like you got the bug, like you'd love to do it again? Again, if the opportunity presented itself, I would definitely try it again. I did register on Backstage.com, and I've gotten offered a couple of roles uh, since then, but timing didn't really work out. Who's your agent? Yeah, I need one. Agents out there listening. (laughs) (laughs) Coach's got a future in this business. Um, (laughs) What what do you miss? I mean, uh, you've still been able to kind of dabble in TV, and and it's been a, it was a good while doing weather at KMIR, which was something you had not done before. I appreciated your feedback. I did reach out to Patrick a couple of times and said, hey, how am I doing? Seriously, tell me. Well, you had a very. He said, honestly, I haven't watched you yet. Way to go, Patrick. I was changing channels. I saw her. She looked great. I said, she she looks great. And I just (laughs) kept going. Uh, No, but you had a good mentor there. Jerry Stevens is is a terrific meteorologist and broadcaster. And he kind of put you through the paces over there. He did. He did. He he's just a weather guy. You know, yeah. he loves meteorology and a very funny, funny man. And funny yeah. as well too. But mainly, you know, Jerry would get me out of 
between a rock and a hard place when I would crash the weather computer in the middle of my broadcast, probably not once or twice. And that was the stuff that I think uh, nightmares are made of. If you've been in TV for a long time and if you've ever produced, you have these nightmares where they say, okay, it's time for you to go on the air. And you realize not a script has been written, no video has been cut, and you're just ad-libbing for massive amounts of time about subjects that you're you know, kind of grasping straws. And that's sort of how I felt doing weather when my computer would crash. No, it's, it's the work anxiety dream that we always have. And I mean, I think it's probably a little different for anchors, but I always have that dream every couple of months that we're on the air and the weather computer's just not working and there are no graphics. And, there's, and oh, you um, can't just scream, it's hot. Well, you, I mean, out here, yeah. I mean, you're, you're pretty safe doing that, yeah. really. It's just been my good default. five, six months out of the year, that'll work. But um, you know, So uh, talk about some of your favorite moments throughout your career. Like, what are some of the highlights if, as an anchor, as a reporter? Hmm. You know, they're, they're kind of those big moments. I think one that I still talk about uh, to this day and I think about pretty frequently was a little boy named Anthony Martinez. He had been abducted uh, from an area in the Coachella Valley, I think it was in 1997, and his body was recovered a few year, a few days later, and his killer, they, they had no idea who he was. It was essentially cold for years and years, and I got a tip through some sources that I had that they maybe had connected someone to this murder and I started working that story and uh, I was able to verify it. We flew up to San Jose where his mother was living at the time and was able to talk to her in those first moments and to see what it meant for her. It was heartbreaking. Mm. It was heartbreaking. It was excruciating. But this was a story that had really, I think, paralyzed people in the valley because he had disappeared from Beaumont. His body was recovered in Indio. This was a killer in the midst that they had never been able to identify. Uh, as it turned out, that man was a, a serial killer and had uh, essentially gone through the country doing similar things to children uh, for many years. And so his arrest uh, was powerful. It meant a lot uh, to her and uh, certainly would never uh, make things better for her, but it, it provided her a, a means to move to another chapter. Closure, which is so important. Uh, how'd you like doing the weather? <laughs> I mean, it's just totally a different because... Because it's the exact opposite of what I just was talking about. Right. Yes. It was, it was a relief. I, I felt like there are, there are few circumstances out here in the desert where weather is life or death and those you do have to take very seriously. Uh, but mainly it was, I got to show a little bit more levity and talk about things that really mattered in people's day-to-day lives. So much of the stuff that we talk about in the news, it will certainly impact them uh, and decisions that they make. But, I mean, like today, did I, was I able to walk my kids to school or not? Yes. And maybe one of the last days. I, well, but I will do it. And I always explain this to brand new producers that we get. Weather is the only story in your entire newscast that will affect everybody. The biggest story that you do. The lead story in your newscast. It's an important story. It's a big deal. doesn't affect everybody. But at some point, it does. Someone, even if you're just looking out the window, weather affects you. So mm-hmm. it and, does. And within just a couple of weeks of my starting uh, doing weather, I was just really sort of getting my feet wet on how to move the clicker, <laughs> how to advance my slides, <laughs> you know, um, how to make sure that I was looking at the right place. Uh, we had that big haboob. 
And that was a wild, <laughs> wild weather day. And we've had more of those, uh, more of those in the last couple of years than we've ever had mm-hmm. in the valley. And uh, if you don't mind, I want to go back because <clears throat> I'm fascinated by the story you told about this this uh, news story yes. that stayed with you. Um, for me personally, I would think it would be really hard to just let that go, carry on with a normal day. How did you do that? I mean, you have to compartmentalize to some degree. It's the same way that I think my husband and so many people in law enforcement do that. You have to kind of put it on a shelf and say, I'm not going to take this home with me. But ultimately, I think working for the city of India was a good way for me to utilize a lot of the skills that I gained as an investigative reporter. I knew what the reporters were going to ask most of the time. So I could have, an, uh, you know, the answer prepared for them. But whatever facts I knew that they were going to ask for, I could have that at my fingertips and not get caught off guard. Uh, but it wasn't death and destruction all the time. I mean, unless you're working in a pandemic, then it was yeah. it was a little trickier. But, uh, you know, that, that was kind of a nice way to balance it, too. And that's a little bit where I learned about destination marketing and about branding and so many things that I think are now uh, give me different perspective on projects that I work with. I'm working with a particular agency right now that is tapping into a little bit more of my investigative researcher type skills. Uh, but then I also did something else for a, a tourism agency where I got to smile and have a lot of fun. So, What, what is next? I mean, and I always admire because you, you have had this great opportunity to kind of reinvent and recast yourself. What's next? Uh, and you have kind of the luxury to kind of figure it out. What, what are you going to do? Well, uh, right now I, I do have my own business. And so I do have some clients that I'm working with right now. Uh, some of them are in the government sector. Some of them are not. Some of them are private organizations. And that's been really neat too. Uh, but I do, uh, I will be starting a job in a couple of months. And I think that's going to have to be a, a stay tuned situation. Well, as long as we're the first ones to be able to release yeah, it, it doesn't matter it's today. You bet. But yeah. I will say that it really really borrows from a lot of different uh, components of things that I've been working on over the last few years. You're um, going to be uh, doing an event on the 25th um, of May, I believe. Women Who Lead? Yes, for Palm Springs Life magazine. Yeah, talk about that if you would, because again, to me, there just seems to be this momentum taking place with women in business. Not that it hasn't always existed here, but it seems to be a little louder now. Yes, and you know, uh, if you're familiar with the Coachella Valley Women's Leaders Forum, they just had their big event too. At our my former colleague and your current one, Karen, was a part of that too. And that's a terrific scholarship program. Yeah, that's a terrific organization as well. And uh, women who lead through Palm Springs Life magazine will be honoring some of the women who made such a contribution to our valley, among them Kay Hazen, who I am running. I love Kay Hazen. Yes, who I I have not met, but I'm telling you this project I'm working on, her name has come up more than once. And so what a terrific opportunity to meet some of these women. Um, Last year, um, uh, Tara Lazar, who is the owner of F10 Creative and the, all of those amazing restaurants in Palm Springs, as well as the then superintendent of the uh, College of the Desert. So a lot of really inspirational women and uh, seeing how we can help each other. I think 
I don't know, I can't speak. I'm sitting here with three men here, but you guys can weigh in for me. Uh, you know, working in television for so long, uh, I think you develop this sort of interesting relationship with women where you, you love each other, you have this friendship, you want to see each other succeed, but just not not ahead of me, not more than me. <laughs> it's, it's a very competitive business. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think to some degree it is more competitive for the women in the business than perhaps the men. Mm-hmm. That may not be true, but... You know, if I go on vacation and this person fills in for me, what's going to happen when I come back? And I think it's because you see those sorts of things actually play out sometimes. It, it happens in our business. It yeah. makes women insecure. And so I'd like to think that I'm coming to a place in my life where I want to be honest with other women and really help support them. We'll all get farther by helping each other. It will come back to you. Uh, but not everyone is always feels that same, same way. <laughs> what are some of the couple of the biggest lessons that you learned early in your career that you're carrying with now? I would say I, uh, there were some situations where I, I can see them in my head now and I replay them and I wish that I had been able to reach out to those people that affected and say, I'm sorry, I was young. Hmm. I shouldn't have been so emotional about whatever that situation was. It really didn't mean anything. Recognizing that tomorrow is another day and we all have an opportunity to do something else. I I just... I mean, I wish I was as mature <laughs> as I was now, but that's okay too. I'm reading some great books. I wish I had been able to read them when I was with the city of Indio. Uh, you know, so many things about essentialism and how to separate the wheat from the chaff and uh, minimize the distractions in your life. I am such a, um, a student of that. I am definitely not a teacher or a mentor of that, but that's what I'm striving for right now. It's fun to be a student at this point in our lives and our careers. And I'm glad I have the space to do that right now. I'm very, very grateful for that. Well, the other advantage is at some point you get to be my age and you forget about all the dumb shit you did when you were younger. So (laughs) that's coming. You got to do that, I think, and not constantly beat yourself up for it. You have to move on, learn the lessons and put it behind you. I can remind you some of the dumb stuff you did this last weekend. Uh, uh, what do you miss most about working in the broadcast industry? Mm. And what do you miss least? You know, when I finished up my stint at KMIR and uh, did my last 11 p.m. news, I got to say, I was a little bit relieved that I didn't have to do it again the next day. <laughs> and remembering to, the, you know, the hours are tough. The hours are tough. Uh, hours are tough in a different way than a regular nine to five uh, because I did have a lot of freedom in the morning to work on things, um, but I was also very tired. So, you know, I, I was really glad that I didn't have to do that midnight getting home thing anymore. It, it's very rare that uh, you get a good schedule on TV. Yeah. Because we got to be on when people are at home. So it's either in the morning like I am, or you're working at night, as you were at KMIR. So. Well, I'm home all day, so just I know. can well, I call you and tell you when to pop on? I do the noon show for you. <laughs> the noon is, we just think Randy woke up about a half hour ago, he's having an echo. So going into to the pandemic, the yes. ballet was cooking. Things were hopping here in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then everything shut down. Um. But now there's this, and there was some fear maybe that a lot of it wasn't going to recover, right? Yes. 
It's definitely recovered. We have a new arena. There's a number of things taking place in this valley right now that look like we're in an upward trajectory here. What are your feelings about the future of the Coachella Valley as somebody who's been here as long as you have and has reported on it? I feel that people are really energized by what they're seeing going on within their communities. They see the changes that are taking place and they want to double down and assist with those things that make things fun and exciting so that we don't complain there's nothing to do here. There are a lot of things to do. Maybe not so much in the summer, uh, but you know, it is, it's warm in the summer. Uh, but, you know, you see things like... I appreciate your sensitivity. Oh, I know. You know, one of the first lessons Patrick gave me right when I started, because he predated me out here in the Coachella Valley by about a year, Yeah. right? Is he said, the Chamber of Commerce doesn't like it when you say hot. Yes. I was running the chamber. I was I, told to say it's warming. Warming, yeah. right. But it, I, I think one of my first days here, I started in May, and it was 117, and my high heel you know, escaped into the asphalt as I was crossing a parking lot. And Patrick said, don't say it's hot. But the streets are melting. You can say that. Just don't say it's hot. It's a mild day, but the streets (laughs) are melting. But, you know, you look at the things, for example, uh, the city of Indigo started something called Second Saturdays, and they're trying really hard to revitalize uh, what a lot of people refer to as Old Town Indio, Downtown Indio, which is kind of that stretch uh, in between Highway 111 and Indio Boulevard between uh, Monroe and Jackson. And it is cool there. There are a lot of cool buildings there. There are people that want to see that area succeed. And so putting those sort of incubator businesses in there, doing farmers markets, creating amphitheaters where people will go and congregate, grab a beer, have a taco, whatever it is. I think those are those are great to remind us we're all here together. We love each other. Don't they say people is sort of what drives, you know, it's when you leave a job, it's not necessarily the job you miss, it's the people you miss. And so bringing together those spaces where people can congregate again, uh, Desert Hot Springs is going to be starting something else where they're going to be getting together on Friday nights in there, what they're calling downtown arts and culture district. So there's a lot of things going on. La Quinta has just built this new amphitheater. They have concerts in the park. The city of Palm Desert have, have concerts every Thursday in May with these great cover bands and food trucks. There are things to do where we can see each other and we're just so glad that we can do it safely again now. It seems like a lot of um, activity in this valley, uh, maybe because it's the only place to go, is headed east. It seems like Indio and Coachella are going to be more important cities in this valley in the future. I think so, and you see the attention that's being paid to murals and public art, the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival, and Golden Voice has been integral into helping some of these cities acquire that ginormous large-scale artwork that gets so many people excited about the festivals and then putting them in their own cities and in their own downtowns, giving them place-making elements. Uh, I think it's terrific. And then, you know, we mentioned all these things to do and you talk about Akershire. I mean, yeah, I saw John Mayer there the other day and now the Firebirds are going to the next round of the playoffs. And do people you have excite- Firebird fever? Do I, have, I, don't, I don't know if I have Firebird fever, but I, I feel it. I have a jersey. You know, I we saw it on some her. games, <laughs> and uh, we enjoy it. And you go there, and we see. I see Randy there. Hopefully, I'll see John. I see some of my colleagues from NBC, and also, uh, you know, Blake from KESQ. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's 
not warm inside that no, arena. No, no, it's very chilly. <laughs> I've gone with Randy. He has season tickets that he shares, and I've, I've had the pleasure of being with him. But you do see a lot of people just wandering yes. around. like I, They can't believe they're in an arena yes. in the Coachella Valley. Yeah, and there are not really bad seats there. No, no, it's a well deserved. We had John Bolton on, and uh, he t- talked about how there's a lot of planning that goes into designing a facility like that to make sure that they can do the kinds of shows they want to do. And it's a great facility for hockey, but all the other things you go see. Madonna? I'm going to see Madonna. I mean, Madonna's coming out. I mean, Sting just got announced. That's terrific. So I think people get excited about staying in their own cities and continuing to make them better and um, making it just like a great place to live all year round. Well, it's also generally, at least in my experience living here, most of the entertainment and music that you were going to hear were people that you enjoyed 30, 40 years ago. Now now we've got venues that are attracting the Madonnas and the Lizzo's and, well, Sting's 30 or 40 years ago, as is Madonna. Harry Styles. Harry Styles Styles is fresh. I will say one of my best musical memories, though, is I was covering the Riverside County Fair and National Day Festival at the Indio Fairgrounds, and I got to interview REO Speedwagon. Oh, man. And one of the singers gave me some personalized REO Speedwagon merchandise that they signed, and I mean, I think that I, that's about the coolest thing. That's pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's you know, pretty cool. This podcast kind of started as a, we were going to talk more about music and kind of dive into people's personality or where they are, who they are, based on some of the music that they like or something that meant something to you. Yeah. Either when you were younger or, or and you did musical theater. Talk a little bit about music as an influence on you. I, you know, now that you're putting it like that, Patrick, I do feel like it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. In terms of what I like and some of my favorite uh, music from when I was a child, still, you know, my husband put it on my 40th birthday playlist, is this song by Color Me Bad. It's called All for Love. I hope that we, can we, do we lay music on? We don't have rights to do that sort of thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, you guys are looking at me with just absolutely blank faces, but it was like the bubblegum pop of my sixth grade year. And I mean, still, when I hear that song, I mean, I will start singing. My husband will give me this look like, Brooke, you're not 12 years old anymore. But I love that stuff. And so when I'm picking my Peloton rides, it's, you know, it's music that reminds me of a special time I spent a semester abroad in London, so there are songs. There's Robbie Williams that when oh, I yeah. hear that, it takes me back to mm-hmm. my time there. Or, uh, you know, we listened to a lot of hip-hop when I was in college. And then I lived in Texas for a few years, and I got to meet Miranda Lambert a couple of times. She's actually from a little town just north of, of Tyler. And uh, my roommate was her, her tour manager for a couple of years. And so... That has a special place for me. What was the song that you, the, your first dance at your wedding? Uh, it was Dave Matthews. It's called Oh. It's beautiful. Mm. I hope I get to listen to Dave Matthews again soon. Um, that's, that's certainly a college yeah. Oh, yeah. band for me. Um, we just recently got to uh, get our new Coldplay tickets. That was our big gift to each other pre-pandemic we were going to go see Coldplay at SoFi and because of the pandemic they pushed the LA stop to the end of their tour and then they ended up canceling it all together so when they decided they're going to come back and they're going to play the Rose Bowl in the fall not quite the same venue but we got our tickets and we're looking forward to that that's awesome 
Yeah. I'd like to see that show. I know. Anthemic, right? Who? Anthemic kind of yes. music. Yes. Oh, definitely. So on this show, Patrick's kind of the pro just by nature of what he does for a career and I'm not. I'm just kind of the fan that talks about things that interest me. You won an Emmy. Yes. What was that for? Uh, I I won one Emmy, and I've been nominated about a dozen times. You're the Susan Lucci of Emmys in the the Coachella Valley? Did Susan ever win? Yeah, she She finally finally won. won. Yes, and that was the the one that I decided I'm not going to go to this one. I'm not going to go to this. I've been nominated so many times. I've never won. I'm not going to go. And, uh, yes, so... um, Tim Kylie, my assistant news director, he he entered alongside me and he went and he gave that speech essentially on my behalf. What was the story? Uh, it was about a woman who was a finalist on America's Next Top Model, which was a reality show that was big maybe 10 years ago. And she got involved with drugs and was part of a swap standoff situation in Palm Springs where she had barricaded herself inside That's of right. her home and uh, just really lost a lot because of her drug addiction. She ended up being imprisoned. And then when she got out, she agreed to kind of tell me about lessons learned. And I don't know that life has been really as smooth as she'd like uh, after going through rehab and spending so much time in prison, but... Yeah, it's a journey. It's an interesting story too, and so many people had seen her in one way, and then seeing the new version of her uh, was striking. Interesting. How long ago was that? I said I wanted to win one before I left TV, and so I think I, I think that was when I won that one. I said, okay, now I can leave it behind, and <laughs> I can say I'm an Emmy Award winner. I just wanted to be able to say that. And where is your trophy? It's now in a, kind of a cabinet in our house. For a long time, I, well, yeah, I was nowhere. And then suddenly it was displayed. My husband said, you deserve to have this out. This is a big deal. Yeah, I'd have it hanging from the rearview mirror or something in the car. Patrick, well, you've won an Emmy, though. I, I have won an Emmy. I uh, was just nominated for another one. Congratulations. But, thank you. Uh, and I will borrow a line from you. Only a few people at this table. Oh. Lefty Drizel was the coach of Maryland, mm-hmm. basketball coach. And when they won the ACC basketball championship, they said, what are you going to do with the trophy? And he said, I'm going to mount it to the hood of my Cadillac and drive all over town. <laughs> and then he right? said, then I'm going to drive down to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. <laughs> that's and awesome. that's the way I felt about my, I'm going to mount this thing to the hood of my Cadillac and drive yeah. all over. The- <laughs> I, I will say, I will, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things. I said, you know, I kind of want to put it up in my office at work. And he said, bro, you know what? You don't want to do that. You know, you work in government now. How's that going to look? I said, it looks like I won an Emmy. Exactly. exactly. And, and I'm the only one in the building right? that did. Right. When someone walks in your office, it immediately says, okay, now do I have your attention? Yes. So we'll see. This next job, as I said, it merges a lot of different passions of mine, too. It has a touch of law enforcement, a touch of government, and a touch of uh, talking to the media a bit. And so, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Sounds like we have to ever. Back. When can you make this announcement? <laughs> we'll schedule you right now. Breaking news on Big Conversations Little Bar. Yeah. Our sure. listener wants to know. So. Yeah, I'll tell you guys first. This has been delightful. Thank you. I'm really glad you were here today. This is a blast. Me too. It really does seem like you have to schedule time to catch up. With Brooke and I have been, I, I think, since 
you left KESQ. We had been talking about getting together for a cocktail. Finally had to invite her on our podcast just to get it done, but we got it done. We do. We text back and forth that little martini emoji pretty frequently. But Well, I just called out the Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, my wife was the first time. I'm kidding. She doesn't. Uh, Wait, listen, Brooke, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. And anyway, I'm really super interested in knowing what, what's next on the horizon for you. Me too. We're going to be paying real close attention. <laughs> uh, as always, my thanks to Randy Florence, my co-host. Thank you, Patrick. Always makes this a lot of fun. And John McMullen, who produces this program thank and does such a beautiful job of making sure it gets on all the right platforms. And we will be back again. Just keep it right here. Big Conversations, Little Bar. Watch for the next episode. Thanks for listening to Big Conversations Little Bar. Join Randy and Patrick next time as we keep the conversation going right here on Big Conversations Little Bar.